listening to the Carbon Base Podcast, your home base for everything you need to know in the fight against climate change. So hi there, everyone, and thank you for joining us in the Carbon Base Podcast. I'm your host, John O'Sullivan. Today, we can't be joined by my host, Elliot, my co-host, sorry, Elliot Davian, as he's uh, quite busy. But our special guest today is Norbert Tayu. Norbert is an international consultant specialized in ecotourism, community-based development, and environmental management. So Norbert has a master's degree in innovation, quality, and environmental management. And he's been working with multiple uh, international agencies like the UN, World Bank, as well as, uh, sorry, as well as with national and regional governments, international NGOs, international operators, and local communities in developing countries in Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Indian Ocean. So he's got about 17 years as a consultant providing technical assistance to multi-sized projects and over 25 years experience in the tourism sector. His objective is to combine at the different decision-making levels, conservation and tourism development. So speaking English, French, and Spanish, he's used to working in a lot of sensitive situations, remote locations, and with multicultural partners and stakeholders. So thank you for joining us, Norbert, and maybe we can start off with uh, you know, a bit of a background as to what started you on this climate and sustainability journey. How did you sort of decide to dedicate your life uh, to, you know, to building on this nexus of conservation and development? Thank you, John, for this invitation. <clears throat> so I can say that uh, um, I started with uh, my involvement in tourism development like uh, 28 years ago uh, <laughs> during my first trip to, to Asia. It was a backpacker's trip for nine months. And uh, I went in many places, remote location, big cities. And um, uh, this really impacted my, uh, my will to, to work in tourism, especially tourism development. As uh, when I came back, I worked on, a, uh, I did a bachelor in tourism. Uh, and I worked with big tour operators. I was receptive for big tour op operators in islands, in Greece, uh, in Ibiza, uh, with mass tourism, I was involved with mass tourism. I was a um, uh, um, um, tour guide uh, in China as well. So I lived in Madagascar. So I've been um, um, in fast, in, in, sorry, I've been facing all the kind of problems that, that are developed with mm -hmm. Development. So uh, when I came back to France after living in Madagascar, I, I did some studies again, uh, a master in, a, as you said, in quality, environment, uh, and innovation management. And I decided to uh, work towards responsible tourism. Mm. And uh, I created a, a kind of a, um, a referential for responsible tourism in developing countries. Uh, after that, I worked with a French Tour Operators Association which was developing uh, standards for true operators working abroad. And um, with all my experience in that, in, a, in mass tourism and remote location, I decided to, uh, to work in a consultancy and to, to bring my expertise to small um, SMEs, to mm -hmm. organizations, NGOs, and governments um, I, who I work with today in many countries. That's fascinating. So, so you more or less caught the travel bug, saw all the problems, went back to school, and then sort of created a you know a niche, uh, you know a career for yourself. Exactly. Definitely. This this was uh, the objective. Yeah. So now I'm working on ecotourism development, uh, community-based development, environmental management systems, uh, curriculum development for guides, for instance, or mm -hmm. uh, hotel managers, training, capacity building, everything that is related to the development of a more responsible and sustainable tourism. So it's, it's, it's far, far more akin to a typical development project than it is for, you know, specifically tourism per se then. Yes, because 
uh, when you talk about tourism projects, so far that the, all the tourism projects have been developed um, with uh, profit and economic development in mind. And now for, for a few years, the, all the social aspects, social cultural aspects, and of course, environmental aspects are taken into account, and which is, which is a good thing. But we can say it's quite, uh, quite recent, mm. like 20 years. How, how long would you say again, sorry? How many years? That this 20 years. 20 years, really? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, they started to talk about uh, sustainability in, in tourism. When I did my, my master in, two, in uh, 2002, uh, it was quite original as a subject, you know? Really? Standard tourism. Interesting. So, I, you know, tourism can be a driving force, you know, for protecting natural and cultural heritage you know, preserving them for future uh, generations to enjoy. How difficult has it been, you know, throughout some of your projects to find that balance between, you know, the, sustain the sustainable use of an area's resources and, you know, their exploitation? Because I'd imagine that throughout the history of tourism, it's, it's likely been, you know, first come, first serve, do whatever you can to make as much money as you can. And how do you sort of find that, that, that's, that balance between sustainability and, you know, the use of, of all the natural resources around them? This is, this is the difficult point. Mm -hmm. uh, to 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 mix uh, profit and conservation, and this is the main objective of many national parks and natural areas around the world today, how to bring tourists in their place uh, while protecting, preserving the, the wild mammals or flora, fauna, birds, rivers, the quality of the rivers. So this is the, the, it's a huge problem. So um, with the sustainability, sustainable development, sustainable tourism, we talk about economy. Uh, social cultural aspects and and the environment so we can translate it in, into uh, we have to mix together profits uh, the interest of the locals and the conservation mm -hmm. um, so we, we have to find what are the, the mechanisms and activities that will enable to create a better collaboration between all the stakeholders uh, for instance we, we need first of all to involve all the stakeholders from the government to the local population remote in the bush mm -hmm. on the small islands, uh, all the economic partners, the tour operators, um, um, accommodation, uh, all the accommodation, the restaurants, the handicraft sector, agricultural, agricultural sector. So this is uh, the, the objective. And today, in some places, it starts to be successful. It is successful in many some places, I would say. Uh, uh, today, we know that Costa Rica, for instance, is the mm -hmm. leader and the pioneer in uh, ecotourism development. There are many countries going and coming to this um, uh, to this type of development, but in some places, uh, they have to to work to to counter the mass tourism effect, mm -hmm. because uh, uh, we know that when the um, uh, United Nations uh, decide to 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 classify a site. You know, a UNESCO site, mm -hmm. it brings a lot of new tourists. Uh, so how to prevent that? Uh, some countries have set up regulations, rules and regulations and restrictions. For instance, uh, Peru with Machu Picchu, uh, they, they limited 2,500 packs a day. Um, in uh, Juzaigu, China, in a national park as well, with uh, beautiful rivers, lakes, waterfalls, uh, flora and fauna, they limited the number of uh, uh, guests to 3,000 per day. Wow. So it's a national park and they promote ecotourism. So uh, is 3,000 packs a day uh, 
responsible for ecotourism, what is the limit? How know. do you... Voilà. <laughs> that's, that's the big question. Yes, that's the big question. Where, where is the limit? Uh, uh, Cozumel, if we, take, if we take the example as well of Cozumel in Mexico, the island in Mexico, it's the second most popular cruise destination in the world. Coral reef surrounding, surrounding the island uh, are vanishing, okay, due to uh, uh, the destruction occasioned by boats, by scuba divers, the pollution from heavy maritime traffic. Yeah. So uh, today, the cruises are a bit uh, out, let's say, during this time of COVID and people mm -hmm. are afraid because there were some recent cases of uh, uh, troubles, um, health, healthy health troubles. Mm -hmm. So what will the government uh, say? What will it do? What kind of decision can it take? Will they close the, the, the island for one year to regenerate, for instance? Or will they consider that uh, they can't live without tourists, at least a little amount of tourists? Have they seen so any they bounce back in the environment from, from the reduced uh, traffic from the cruise ships yet? There, there is, uh, there is a, a bounce back, and we can see it in many places. They have seen it even in Venice, in, uh, in Dubrovnik, in all the big places where, where there, there is mass tourism. They have seen a bounce back. So the bounce back is existing, like uh, in Thailand, for instance, in Maya Bay. Maya Bay in Pipi Island, they have closed the, the, the beach. You know where, where they have done the movie, the beach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have closed this island to, to enable it to regenerate. And they have seen really, really positive impacts. Uh, but when they open it back, what will happen? Uh, they, they, have, they are doing the same in Boracay in Philippines. They have closed the beach. Uh, so, yeah, there are solutions like that. But where? Is the government ready to go mm -hmm. to? And it's always the same. This is the big problem between profit and conservation. Mm -hmm. Where do you put the cursor to enable one uh, and the other at the same time? Because, heard... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I said because uh, you don't want to kill tourism. No. Uh, tourism in, in many places, it's a major, um, um, it's a major the, activity. The big yeah. part of the GDP. So, Exactly. So it has to, it has to still, it has to remain present, but in a better, in a better way. And um, the, 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 you have to make people understand that their resources are not infinite, local people. And uh, this is the objective of ecotourism, uh, a part of um, uh, education of the tourists. And, uh, but first of all, to make understand the local population that they have finite resources, and uh, these resources can be used for um, making them earn more money to, to live in a better environment. Uh, for instance, in, in, it happens in many places in, um, near the national parks in, in Africa, for instance, where you have big game, mm -hmm. uh, game fishing. Or, uh, the objective, one of the objectives is to, to tell the people that uh, an elephant which is alive is more interesting than a dead elephant because they can use it to, for tourism development. Absolutely. Um, I don't see you. For Not tourism right. development. Yeah. If, um, if the elephant is dead, okay, they will, uh, they will eat it or they will use it for a while. But after, there is no economy that you can build on that, on that fact. So this is one uh, very important thing during the capacity building of the stakeholders. Mm -hmm. 
So that's, so that's my next question then is, could you run us through maybe a bit of the trust building process that you typically undertake when first entering, you know, a new community and begin with the, to meet with the local population? Because I'd imagine there's a lot of competing factions. You know, I've heard stories of, uh, you know, what it was, can't remember the name of the island nation, but, um, you know, they, they had basically shut, out, shut down a third of the waters from overfishing, uh, uh, ramped up ecotourism in the area. And that, by sheltering that one area, the fishing population, uh, sorry, the fish population dramatically exploded in all the other areas, you know? So it's about how do you create that buy-in? How do you, you know, develop that, that trust that, you know, um, there's a lot of negative stipulations that come with any, you know, Westerner coming in and telling anyone what to do with their resources, right? Through just years and years of negative effects. So I'm just wondering, how do you start that trust building process with these communities when you first enter? Oh, that, yeah, there are different kinds of communities, okay? You can have uh, communities living nearby cities who are really aware of what what is going on and what can be done, and you you have communities we we live which live remote in a, uh, in isolated places and uh, places of interest for tourists for eco tourists but they don't even, they don't know that, um, what they are sitting on. So um, one thing which is very important, as I said just before, is to make them understand that uh, that they have a potential, a real potential that they, they can develop if they want. Um, so first of all, when I'm going, let's say for instance, in small communities, mm. uh, there is a, an introduction, I introduce myself and what are my objectives? Why I am here with them, what to do? Uh, and one very important thing as well is to meet all the representative and stakeholders from the government to the farmer, fishermen, uh, uh, women, association, uh, disabled people, everybody, in the, in the small places or in the, in the villages to tell them about the project, about uh, what can be done and to check if they, they agree with the development which is proposed by donor agencies or the government which is very far from them. So meet, meet the local, discuss with them, um, observe, observe of course, very important, observe what's going on, what are the relations between the, between the, the people because you can have the uh, the religious chiefs, the political chiefs, uh, all the, um, de depending on the culture, the religion, mm. have all these different as aspects that um, come into account. They, they have to be uh, um, um, used in, in, in a good way to, uh, to get involved very quickly in the place and to show the people that you, you are uh, working with them. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a chance actually, because as I don't work in mass tourism, I'm not here to build big hotels or stuff like that. Uh, I come not as a saver um, in, in ecotourism, but um, I try to show that the objective is to propose something else, another kind of development. And um, once the, the thing is clear, and will you try to be objective, objective, uh, always uh, on it, honest, objective, and um, this is, for me, the, the best thing I, I've seen to, to enter in a, to create a good relationship with the people. Mm -hmm. They know, they know, and they understand that you, you won't bring them a, a, a heaven, you know, it's not, uh, you won't bring them a lot of money, and uh, so you have to be clear at the beginning. And uh, the relation is, is building smoothly as well. You can build a relation within a, within one week, you know, takes time, can be a long process. But if you are always transparent and honest about the, the risk 
of the ecotourism development, about the, 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 the potential, the opportunities, uh, it, it can work well. And um, I would say as well, when I'm in uh, villages like that, in play, even in cities, I always take a local guide, uh, someone local, even a young guide, you know, but a local guide, because uh, <laughs> it helps you a lot to understand what's going on. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and a second thing that I do when I'm going in really remote places, um, I, I like to document what, what, uh, what is going on and what I'm doing. I take a lot of pictures. And I, I made a deal, I make a deal with the local people. So after a while, I tell them, okay, give me the opportunity to, um, to film and photograph everything, everything I need. And in exchange, I, I give you all the pictures and the films that you, you can use as you want. Mm -hmm. So this is a win-win uh, situation, you know? So most of the time, they don't have cameras, they don't have nothing. Mm. So they're very happy that I print pictures for them from the families. And when they have a computer, I give them on, the, on a flash disk. And so everybody's happy. And mm. this is how you can build as well the, the trust between the, the project owners, the, um, the stakeholders, and the, the consultants. That's phenomenal. Okay, so I, I, I'd imagine that, um, you know, they're, they're quite happy to share their story as well a lot of times, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, um, so how do you go about resolving any conflict or tension between these stakeholders? Because I'd imagine it always happens, um, you know, a lot of competing industries. So how do you ensure, you know, the equitable use of local resources and the sharing of these economic opportunities that the project creates? And I know, I know it'll change on a context basis. I'm just sort of wondering, you know, what, what maybe you could give an example of, of uh, you know, without using names, you know, a conflict that maybe you've, you had to resolve between some stakeholders on a project. Uh, to, um, to resolve conflict, it's like um, what, I, what I said before. First of all, you have to understand uh, what, is, what is in the game, you know, what, what is everybody uh, uh, looking for. The, the local governance system, you have to understand it. Mm -hmm. Who's ruling the place? Who's ruling the area? Is it a corporator? Is it a private company? Is it the, the local government? Is it managed by the national government? Uh, is there specific uh, regulation from, uh, I don't know, from uh, UICN or from uh, NGOs? Or... So, first of all, you have to, to understand, to listen to everyone, locals, but scientists, private sectors, NGOs, CBOs, uh, community-based organization, organizations, which are really, really important in many places. Um, uh, you have to make a distinction between public and private interests. So this is a, an important point as well. When someone is against a project, for instance, why? Why is he against? For the the sake of the public, uh, of the public, or for his own interest? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you have to. So it's you have to analyze data, lot of data, uh, <laughs> studies that have been done by uh, by other consultants, by uh, the government as well. Um, and you, it's very important to explain to the stakeholders the world pictures. What are the pros and cons of a proposed development uh, scenario? scenario. Uh, what are the alternatives? Most of time, this kind of project is coming from above, mm -hmm. from the, the, um, the government, let's say. And you have to translate it first to the, to the local people. Sometimes it can come from the, the base 
from the local people because they live in a, in a zone, in an area where the economic development uh, is not possible anymore. For instance, I was working in, a, in India with, uh, with local communities, working on um, cardamom, that yeah. cardamom uh, fields, and the cardamom had a disease, so their cash crop was over. And they had to find a new way to, uh, to um, make a little bit of money to, to um, little subsidies. So they decided, they decided to go into community-based tourism. It was their choice. Um, in, um, I've been working in um, south of India, in Kerala, just after the tsunami of 2004. Mm -hmm. uh, all, the, all their fields, because of backwaters, because all their fields were uh, full of salt water. Oh, wow. So they, they had to, uh, to change the, the way they could, they had to clean first the backwaters, to change the way uh, they, they would produce um, agricultural uh, goods for the population. And they wanted as well to promote their culture, which is very important in Kerala, mm -hmm. and to, to, to welcome guests in, in their small houses near back the backwaters. So they wanted to go into this process of uh, developing ecotourism. Sometimes people don't agree. They don't want disturbance from foreigners or even national uh, tourists you know, who come to their place. And they discuss uh, between each other. And they try, as you said uh, before, they try to find the balance and we, we help them, we assist them to find the balance between, between um, what kind of profit can be made for the community and what, will, what kind of impact will it have on our environment, on the social life, on the education, the, um, the, the, the opportunities given to the youth as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a full scale, like livelihoods impact study almost. Um, and you know, so achieving sustainable tourism, you know, it's a continuous process and requires constant monitoring of impacts, you know, introducing the necessary preventative or corrective measures when necessary, you know, perhaps an assumption didn't go as, as, as presumed. And, uh, you know, how important has this longer-term process of monitoring evaluation been to the success of some of the projects that you've worked on? You know, ensuring that once implemented, are you guys correcting any, anything that, you know, isn't working as you go along? And how long does that process take? Or I'm just curious about the, you know, after implementation, what's it like? The, the long-term process is, uh, is very important because when you're talking about developing uh, community-based tourism or ecotourism, it's not just a gadget for the people. Mm -hmm. It's really, the, it will de determine their, their life uh, for the future. And it's a, it's a real choice. It's not something like they say they, they do for a season or, or so. So it's, the, and many of them don't have no clue about tourism, even mass tourism, they don't know what it is. So uh, it's, it's kind of a long process because first of all, the, what I said before, there is a, a time for explanation. Um, what will be pros and cons of the development. And once they agree, you work with them, you set up all the, the procedures and the monitoring, and you do the studies, you do the monitoring. And uh, after that, when people are convinced in what they are, they are doing, uh, they can go and become the ambassadors for the, for, for the project to go on. Mm. And, um, as I said, the, in the two examples uh, I gave you before, in, uh, in India, uh, in Sikkim, and in Kerala, uh, it, there were long, long um, 
um, process because first of all, they don't have the, the means of communication, communication that we use. Uh, everything can go is a lot longer and uh, the monitoring can be as easy as it is in, a, in, a, in, in Canada, for instance, you know, in the city. It's a long, long process. It's a long process to enable people to change their mind on one topic. Uh, there, are, there, are, there should be many discussions as well, which is a, it's a good thing yeah, that the process is long. Yeah. And um, today, the, the uh, tourism is going on the under-tourism way. We, we have seen uh, over-tourism in many places. And now with COVID-19, we, we see the, the beginning of uh, under-tourism. And um, um, offbeat destinations, remote locations, um, are, they all have new st stories to tell to the, the people. And um, the, they're proposing now more immersive experience mm -hmm. because the, the, the tourists are, are changing their mind, eco-tourists. They want to uh, um, uh, live experiences to transform. We talk about transformational tourism, but regenerative tourism mm. to enable the place to, to regenerate itself. So with all these um, new uh, niche tourism activities that are proposed, the population are more and more uh, focused on uh, how will I, how can I implement that and uh, the long term is a good thing for, for that. Uh, and the monitoring, of course, the monitoring is very, very important. Monitoring at, at the end of this monitoring, the evaluation. But the process can be, uh, can be six months, one year, two years. Uh, developing a destination or this kind of activities in a village, in a remote location, uh, can be quite long. I'd imagine uh, it could it's be. Not, not related to the size of the city. Even, you know, you're talking about generations of farmers on land and no longer being able to till that land, whether it be because of a disease or because of a natural disaster. It's, I'd imagine it would take quite a lot of buy-in, you know, to change everything somebody knows about, you know, creating money. Sorry, my dog's being a bit of a pain right now. Let's see how every, every time I record. But, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating process. And um, I'm wondering now with COVID, I know you mentioned that a lot of, you're, you're a man who likes to live in the field. Um, that with that being you know shuttered right now, do you think this has presented a chance to fundamentally change our relationship towards tourism, or has this set the clock back on a lot of you know the implementation of these sustainable tourism, community-based tourism, regenerative tourism, all these all these things that were you know sort of reaching critical mass and catching on? Are they are they kind of shuttered now? Are people going to go backwards on this? Or are they going to move forward? So many expectations during this COVID period. Mm -hmm. Time. Uh, the, it's a huge opportunity actually to change the way we travel. Um, and we have no choice. We have no choice. Uh, when we talk about the environment, the only possibility, the only opportunity for us is to reduce the way and to change, to drastically change the way we travel. Um, the UN, the United Nations, um, have, have um, stated not long ago that the carbon dioxide emissions are predicted to fall up to 7% in 2020. But long term, this dip, this dip means only a 0 0.01 uh, degree Celsius reduction 
of global warming by 2050, which yeah. is nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So if we if we really want to uh, go on living on this planet and travel and uh, work and breathe and everything, we have to go towards this way. So uh, many many tour operators today, many destinations uh, are looking for responsibility, and then. If you read the, the news today or the tourism uh, articles, you see that everyone today wants to become responsible, mm. uh, sustainable, responsible. It's the, the, the magic world, magic world today. So uh, it's a good thing. We have to be careful with uh, greenwashing, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, many people are going towards sustainability. And of course, the, the operators have won't have more choice because tourists uh, have new expectations and new behaviors. Uh, the people, I'm talking about ecotourism mainly. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, people are looking for local and organic, organic food, uh, responsible and fair uh, business. Then they're looking for authenticity, but cleanliness. Yep. You know, uh, they're looking for exchange with the local population. They want experience, uh, transform, uh, learn something. So this is a, it will become, it's becoming a huge market. Maybe in the years to come, the main market, hopefully sustainable tourism, but uh, it's becoming a, a market. And how do, how can we see it? And how can we um, imagine the redeployment of tourism post COVID? Um, first of all, I think there will be less long hauls, yeah. of course, um, uh, because they will be more expensive mm -hmm. and people are more keen now to, to discover what's around them. Mm -hmm. So the, the tourism will be more local. That doesn't mean there will be less tourists, but tourists will be more local and regional. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one, one point. There will be less cheap flights uh, to go around. So all the, all the Westerners, all the Europeans who are used to go to a, a, New Europe, Europe, to a European capital for the weekend, uh, it will be more difficult for that because the prices will be more expensive or really, yeah. less promotion. Uh, smaller groups, so we'll need smaller groups to travel. These are the criteria for responsible operators. And they, we can uh, fight um, uh, this crisis and re redeploy tourism if we stick to this kind of regulations, you know, becoming more green and uh, so uh, smaller groups, more private and customized excursions everywhere to less crowded tourism sites. So all the big tourism sites will remain very touristy because people will want to see the, the Great Wall, the Eiffel Tower, mm -hmm. the but uh, now this is the the objective as well of the um, uh, destination management organizations to find other places with other kind of interest and to work in a um, gastronomy, art, uh, self-development. But this is um, something that is going to, uh, uh, to be developed like the small to medium-sized hotels, uh, boutique hotels. Uh, today we can see that the, the, tourists are less keen to go into big uh, 500 rooms hotels or because the, the buffet, for instance, just the buffet is, uh, 
is decreasing because of safety uh, and um, hygiene measures. So all, all this is changing little by little and it, it will become compulsory maybe. Maybe in 10 years, what we are talking about now will be compulsory in all the destinations. Um, so high-end boutique hotels will, will become the perfect getaways for wealthy visitors. Um, they will focus on wellness, spa, yoga, spirituality, well-being, authenticity, uh, with strict health and safety protocols for guests and staff. Uh, hygiene will become preponderant. Um, the um, security, of course, yeah. become a big, big topic. Huh? We, we, see, we see it with the cruises, with the mm -hmm. cruises market. When people get stuck on a boat with uh, uh, COVID-19 infected persons, they, have, they can go on land, so the, the, the cruise boats become jails. Yeah. So uh, they, they will have to, uh, to ensure all the passengers that the, they're really strict on, uh, mm -hmm. on this uh, topic. Uh, we will see, I think, the reduction in mice, in mice traffic and business, business mm -hmm. meetings. Uh, this COVID-19 has showed us that we can work uh, through Zoom or, and all that stuff. So less people taking planes to go for work or for, for short term periods at least. So uh, this is, I think, the, uh, what COVID brings us. And it shows us that um, to make it short, be responsible or die. Mm -hmm. So you're hopeful. So you're hopeful then. Yes, yes, yes. I'm hopeful because uh, we have no choice. We have no choice. Mm -hmm. We have no choice. The um, tourists will remain. Everybody wants to take holidays. Mm. Uh, whatever kind of holidays, okay? But everybody wants to take holidays. So um, mass tourism is not dead. It will go on, but it has to change. It has to go in a, in a, in a smaller way, in a better way, in a more, uh, in a cleaner way, all, all this. And um, alternative tourism, whether it be agri-tourism, eco-tourism, community-based tourism, all these kinds of, uh, all these aspects of the um, uh, new, kinds of tourism will develop, will become bigger. And as we said before, we have to be careful to mass ecotourism. I, uh, I, I think it was interesting to hear you list off a lot of those trends. Some of them I hadn't thought of, but others I can definitely agree with. I mean, I know from my perspective and at least those within my, my, you know, my social networks, we're far more interested in a rich cultural experience than an all-inclusive weekend with a free buffet. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of those cookie cutter trips to me are far less interesting than connecting with something, you know, completely outside the, the realm of normal to you, right? To go off the beaten path to, I'd rather, you know, visit a, a dive bar pub with a World War II vet telling stories in, in, in Europe than go to a, you know, a club with, you know, lights and, non, and nonsense. You know what I mean? People, are, I, feel, I do feel, you know, when you talk about this spirituality and wellness, there is a much larger need amongst our generation to connect with something greater than themselves, something newer and something, as you said, authentic. So. I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that the expert is, 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 uh, is optimistic as well, because I think uh, the doom and gloom, and uh, as well, this, this, this idea of staycation, you know, exploring your own backyard, I think that's, um, that's going to give a lot more people um, an appreciation, you know, for the stuff around them, for protecting the environment. You know, it's not like you're getting on a plane, flying 12 hours, and you're on the opposite end of the world, and you're not connected to it, right? It's, if it's in your own backyard, that may create a bit more buy-in into our everyday practices to protect, you know, what's in our own backyard. 
Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's fascinating. And um, I wanted to ask you, which, uh, which project are you most proud of, you know, in all your 28 years? Which, what are you most proud of when you look back and think, you know, we did a lot of great good for that community? Uh, I can say that the, the, the ones I'm the more proud of, proud of are the ones where I've seen positive change mm -hmm. uh, in the proposed direction. Um, in, um, for instance, in, in Thailand, I've been working with, uh, with hotels to, bring, to propose them to become greener with um, um, incentives, bank incentives and stuff like that, to use uh, green energies in their day-to-day -day management. And, uh, so when you see some hotels that go, that follow um, your, your proposition and invest in a uh, um, solar power heater, mm -hmm. Uh, in a renewable energies and the way they, they manage their, their food, their light, their, all this. At, at least with that, uh, I consider it's a good, it's a good step. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, the destination that take into consideration as well, the social and uh, environmental aspect of their development. This is a, um, a very nice step when, when you work with clients and you tell them, okay, today you have a beautiful product, but uh, how do you involve the locals, your, your neighbors, the villagers? Mm -hmm. uh, if you are uh, off of greed or anything, you, you have to, to live, you live in an environment, in a, in a biotope. So how do you connect with this biotope? And, uh, uh, so the, the projects I find really uh, rewarding, the ones that have been rewarding, are the ones where the, the, the project integrates 100% in its natural and cultural in the values of the area. Um, when the, the project, whether it be an hotel or uh, a campsite, is 100% integrated uh, and fits within the character of the site. Mm -hmm. um, when the, the, the project minimizes its footprint on the site. Um, when the, the project involves and benefits traditional owners and local communities, because we shouldn't forget that ecotourism is a, a project that is um, meant to assist and to help local communities. Um, so that's why it's very important to, to set up long-term partnership with them. Mm -hmm. We're again in the long process, you know. Uh, uh, and of course, ecotourism has a role to engage the visitors to appreciate the place and to uh, um, educate the visitors. Mm -hmm. This is another aspect of ecotourism. So engage them to protect and conserve the area. Um, something, something that I, I noticed during all these uh, consultancies is that the, it's difficult to tell the people, okay, you want to develop uh, this project, it's beautiful, but uh, you, you, will do the, you will be the best one. Mm. Uh, it's not possible to pretend to bring the best. Uh, I think it's wiser to try to avoid the worst <laughs> and uh, and uh, adopting um, a regenerative objective, I would say, mm -hmm. today. Uh, for instance, there is a project, I, I, sh I don't know if I can say that, but I, I can say I'm proud. But um, once um, 
I worked on a project in a um, in, uh, Central Republic, African Central Republic, mm -hmm. um, working with pygmies uh, to check the opportunities to develop ecotourism with pygmies. And um, after staying with them, sharing their, their life for a few days and meeting the older stakeholders, I concluded that it was too early. Mm -hmm. They were not ready, they were not willing. So there is no reason to do that. And uh, I can say that I was quite pride, proud mm -hmm. <laughs> of writing that in my report. I'd imagine that may have uh, ruffled, ruffled a few feathers back uh, from on high then, eh? If to, to say no, but, but that's... Yeah. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't say how much I appreciate that, you know, because if you're not going to have the community buy-in, if it's going to be more detrimental to the conservation of the, the, the people, the culture, the resources, then why are, who are you to force anything down anyone's throat, right? Exactly. That's, that's, hey, more power to you. That's, uh, I can, proud, proud may be a hard word there, but I, 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 could, I could definitely see, you know, that, that's, that's really cool. And yeah. uh, one thing I wanted to do for, like, um, you know, our, our call to action, our closing remarks is, you know, what can I do? What can one simple thing that the average person can do, whether big or little, to sort of, um, you know, support the, the sustainable tourism? Is there anywhere we should go? What should, what should we all be doing? I mean, I know you've kind of listed off a few things, but like, what's the, what's the one or two big things that everyone can and should be implementing in their everyday lives to sort of support the sustainable tourism and community-based tourism? Uh, in, um, <clears throat> to be quick, in, in your everyday life, in our everyday life, um, what is important is to, when we travel, to, to travel consciously, to be conscious of the impact we can have, uh, to the, the will to maintain the destinations, economic, social, social, cultural, uh, and natural uh, equilibrium, mm -hmm. uh, preserve resources, uh, travel in safety, be safe while traveling. I was talking about RCA, but uh, I don't even talk about COVID. You know, if I've got COVID and I'm going to, uh, to visit uh, these people, can be very, very uh, damaging. So uh, um, when you're in remote locations, uh, use local services, of course, mm -hmm. local, uh, local activities. Uh, be respectful and curious. This is very, very important. Respectful is the basis. And unfortunately, with the with the development of tourism, we see many people in many places who are not, who lose this kind of, uh, uh, because traveling is so easy. So it's, uh, they take the plane as they take, the, as they take the, the train. So I think that by becoming more difficult to travel uh, or more expensive or um, more, it, it, it will be, it's an opportunity for the people to, to understand and to, to be really uh, respectful with, uh, with what they're doing. And of course, there is uh, carbon compensation. <laughs> for the, uh, if you want to get involved in, uh, in the, the effects you've got on your, on your trip and your, on your activity, this is a, another opportunity. Mm -hmm. But um, the, we know, we collectively know that one of the big uh, issue in the years to come will be water, safe water. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Safe they water. Just, they just started trading as a commodity on the on Wall Street, I believe, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, water waste management, uh, wildlife. Uh, so, how to, the, the question is how to help the, the, the people you're visiting to become uh, ambassadors and to to enable them to have the means to preserve their environment 
and the environment that you come to visit. Okay. Do your research then first and foremost would probably be the best one. Eh? To make sure you know who, where you're going, who you're interacting with, be respectful yeah, in the process. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, I like that concept that you said by becoming more expensive, I think it could also weed out, you know, the people that now will be going, that will be deciding to pay the extra money to take the trip will be far more invested in, you know, doing it properly, perhaps, you know, that's, it's just a theory, but you would think that rather than, you know, being able to flagrantly go wherever you want because it's, you know, a thousand bucks cheaper versus somebody who genuinely is committed and interested and passionate about, you know, where they're going and what they what they want to do and experience on their trip. Um, what, uh, my next, my next question would be what, who has been maybe one of your heroes or one of the guiding lights, sorry, that, that got you interested in this? It's, it almost sounds like you're a man of a million different experiences and it's, and you've had quite an interesting path in life, you know, to get where you are, but is there anyone that sticks out in your head as to, you know, sort of changing your mind or changing your, your, your perspective on, you know, sustainability and, and, and the environment? Yeah. Uh, I would say that I'm quite happy today to see that the, 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 the young and very young generation is very active. Um, the, there is an example of the um, uh, Boyan Slats, the, the mm -hmm. Dutch invader of the, the ocean cleanup. Uh, he was 18 when he started this, uh, this uh, ocean cleanup business. And uh, today there are 90 engineers, researchers, scientists, uh, computational uh, uh, modelers who work to to get rid of plastic in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Now they're making glasses, uh, sunglasses with the plastic that are in the ocean. So this can be can be seen as just a little drop in the in the waste management uh, uh, issue. But I'm very happy to see that it's a 18 years old guy who started mm -hmm. that. You know, uh, another one is uh, the young girl that we've seen on the. Uh, Times magazine cover, uh, Gitanjali Rao. Mm -hmm. she, she's a scientist, inventor. Uh, she loves to work with uh, uh, problem-solving uh, um, experiments. She's going from artificial intelligence to baking, to, and she's only 15. <laughs> so, so this is what makes me optimist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, and it's something that we've uh, we spoke about many times on the podcast before is that um, never before I, uh, do I think has there been a generation that's so engaged, so connected and empathetic to the problems all across the world because no longer are, you know, do we learn things through a radio show to two, two or three news agencies and, you know, the newspaper. Now we have access at the very tip of our fingers to anything and everything all around the world, right? So there's a million and one problems in the world and everybody sort of feels like they have to pick one, but um, I, I, I certainly feel a level of empathy and connection that perhaps hasn't existed in the past. And, you know, our hope has always been that, you know, the, the technology and the inventors and the passionate people will solve our problems, but it almost appears that you know, we're running out of time on this climate issue. So the more, the more, the better that they, you know, keep getting involved with it. And, um, the final question for any of our listeners out there would be, what would you recommend reading or media? You know, what, what's, what's sort of an impactful book article? video, something that, you know, could get people, you know, more motivated about the, every, like the work that you do? Yeah, actually, I, I read a lot of articles uh, through LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, through LinkedIn, I, uh, you're in touch with uh, people from all around the world, mm -hmm. uh, specialists, experts, professionals, in any kind of, uh, uh, in any topic. And uh, I, I read uh, 
sustainable leaders, sustainable leaders projects uh, from the sustainability world and change makers, you know, what's, what's going on. So it's, um, they have a website, it's uh, uh, sustainability-leaders.com. Right Very on. Interesting. And um, um, yeah, I think I find a lot of resources um, with uh, uh, GSTC as well. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, regarding standards and what can be done to enhance the, the work of the, um, of the stakeholders. It's mm -hmm. Always the, the, the issue is very, very simple, actually, you know, very simple, very simple to tell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's what, what can we do at every level to, uh, to avoid the worst. And fortunately, to the, today, as I said, there, are, there is this young generation, very, uh, very positive and willing. And I think uh, uh, we can go through that. It will be difficult, tough, but uh, new solutions can come out from, from this, uh, mm. this generation and all the, the knowledge that we share today through internet. We got, we got access to everything. So the, the, the media, yeah, many media in uh, LinkedIn or many other places, but to, to keep us aware of what's going on are mm -hmm. very interesting. And is there any, is there any like uh, sites that maybe we could share with people if they're looking to take a trip that sort of, it's a repository for these ecotourism or sustainability pro like, you know, destinations? Is there any really good sites out there that you know when, for anyone looking to book their next trip once all this COVID calms down? There is um, a site that I've come across not long ago, um, it, which is a uh, very interesting, um, which is called Yonder, 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 and, Yonder. and uh, they're based in America and they propose a trip like uh, Airbnb, mm -hmm. but oriented ecotourism. And uh, they propose uh, tools and activities in different destinations. Sort of like a plan uh, your own trip, but they give you all the tools and the resources exactly, to do so. Exactly. Okay. And, and um, the difference with uh, the standard Airbnb is that, is that they really ensure you that you spend time with the local people, you meet mm -hmm. the local people, you, you live the local life for a while. And this is getting lost in many places, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we have seen it with Airbnb, which at the beginning was this, uh, this project. But uh, in the end, it's becoming kind of a uh, becoming hotel, hotel room. Mm -hmm. So there is this uh, website. Uh, some of them are, are, are uh, not booming, not yet, but little by little, the, the, the conscious of the, the customers will go towards this kind of, uh, of uh, providers. Fascinating. And if there's anything else you ever think of, shoot us a message and we'll be sure to share with everyone because, uh, you know, the more tools people have at their disposal to, you know, to educate themselves and book these types of trips, uh, the better. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us, Norbert. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm almost a little bit jealous of the life you've led. I mean, it sounds like you're having one hell of a time. Hopefully you can get back to work uh, early in the new year and uh, get back to doing the good work that you do. So thank you so much. And thanks again, everyone. For joining us in the carbon based podcast. Take care. Thank you very much, John. Goodbye. Bye -bye.